Hello and welcome to episode 155, season 7, episode 21 of the Academically Ineligible Podcast. Uh, my name is Andy, not joined across town by Andrew or further by Tom. Neither one of them could make it this week, which is code for they did not want to come back here for a final week when their teams were not playing and talk about the back-to-back national championship, uh, Georgia Bulldogs. Um, I think that's what that's coded for. I'm recording this on a uh, take-a-little-break uh, at work and recording this uh, using a different headset, but hopefully it sounds decent. I'll try to run it through my normal post-processing uh, software I use to try to clean it up, but uh, given that it's just me, it's probably not going to... Um, it usually it tries to level out uh, things from from different speakers so that it's roughly the same volume. But given that it's just me, I'm not sure how much it'll actually change. Anyway, um, it's episode 155, season seven, episode 21, and um, this should be the last episode of the 2022 season. Even though this is you know wrapping this up in 2023, obviously. Um, so let's just go ahead and. Um, take a look real quick i'm going to try to keep this short because it's just me uh and easier said than done because i tend to ramble when nobody's around to uh to rein me in there um real quick we'll look at the fei ratings um the, by brian freemall freemall who i tend to uh to bring up a lot i do like his uh advanced stats that he puts puts out there um at the end of the season uh georgia number one at 15 and 0 Ohio State at two, eleven and two, Alabama at number three, eleven and two, and Tennessee eleven two. Um, just finishing up, I'll go through TCU because I thought that was interesting. Uh, Tennessee at four, like I said, Michigan at five, Texas six, Penn State at seven, LSU eight, Florida State nine, Kansas State, Utah, and then TCU down at twelve. Uh, we'll go one further and just say USC at thirteen in those ratings. Um, as always, the advanced stats love Texas because essentially um, they're saying that based on the stats that Texas is putting up, you know, they they should be the sixth best team in the country. However, they're snatching defeat from the jaws of victory more often than not, as they actually ended up eight and five and are very much an outlier uh, in the top 10 uh, as far as win loss um, record goes. Um, Underachieving, underachieving Steve Sarkeesian at Texas continues to strike, uh, at least for another year. Um, other notable things, uh, Michigan obviously lost to TCU, and um, Jim Harbaugh has spent some time since that game uh, flirting with some NFL teams and calling them up, uh, attempting to get interviews uh, with multiple teams reportedly. Uh, stay tuned to hear uh, if he actually gets that job or if he's just using that to try to get more money out of Michigan. Hard to tell with him. Um, uh, let's see what else is new uh, in the top 10-ish here. Um, I think you could expect Florida State to be one of the leaders in the uh, in the ACC next year. I would assume most of the media people are going to pick them uh, as their preseason picks to win the ACC, barring some... Um, crazy transfers or court co- coaching changes there, which I think um, the Norvell, uh, I think is the name. I think that they're the, uh, I think they seem to have weathered uh, some early, early storms in the locker room and seem to be uh, stable there. 
Um, let's take a quick look at Athlon Sports has a preseason, a way too early preseason pullout for next year. Um, Georgia at number one. Obviously, they have to replace uh, Stetson Bennett, the fourth. Uh, with that, you're probably going to see Carson Beck uh, starting at QB, who got in in the fourth quarter of the national championship. It could also be Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton. Uh, Todd Munkin said in a media interview this last week that he expects, or, or he's looking forward to seeing all of them in the spring. I'm assuming that means... Uh, he's talked all three of them into staying in, uh, through the spring. And then depending on the pecking order coming out of spring practice, I would expect at least one of those to transfer and potentially uh, UGA to get a, um, if that happens, I think that they would bring in another uh, QB essentially so that the, the first two QBs don't wear out their arms, just trying to, um, uh, to get uh, wide receivers enough reps, so you need another another guy there for one thing to run the scout team and and just to get the wide receivers um, reps. Uh, Michigan at number two, McCarthy will be back uh, at quarterback, and uh, Blake Corum also says he's coming back uh, if his legs don't fall off first from uh, from overuse in Michigan. Ohio State uh, at number three, according to Athlon, and uh, Kyle McCord. Most likely going to be the quarterback, uh, possibly Devin Brown from what this is saying as well. Uh, most everybody else is back. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., Ibuka, uh, Maya Williams, and Trevion Henderson also back. Um, we'll see about the others. I'm not sure if Paris Johnson has made decisions about going pro or some other some other guys they had on offense defense. Uh, Athlon has USC at number four. I think that is uh, about five or six spots high for me, given that uh, Riley is seemingly okay with Alex Grinch. He has not given him his uh, walking papers, so to speak, yet. Um, I think Alex Grinch, Grinch is a dog shit uh, defensive coordinator, and they are only going to... Uh, go as high as, as um, USC as a whole as their defense can take them, which under Lincoln Riley, everywhere he's been, the defense has not taken them very far. So I think that uh, that's kind of a restrictor plate or a, a governor in, uh, in car terms that is going to limit your top speed. Um, and I think that USC is, is going to continue to be hamstrung until Riley gets his head out of his ass. And makes a commitment on the defensive side of the ball to a get the right staff in there and to put more of his own time into it, uh, recruiting and coaching wise. He needs to be out there meeting with actual good defensive schools this off season, uh, figuring out how to fix their shit. And until that happens, I think Lincoln Riley is. I don't know that. Well, we can call him a good coach because uh, clearly he knows what the hell he's doing on the offensive side of the ball. He's great at developing quarterbacks. Um, but I think as a head coach, he need to be responsible for responsible for both sides of the ball. And I don't think that he wants anything to do with defense. He keeps Grinch around because Grinch will take all the responsibility and all of the um, you know all the game planning from. So he doesn't he doesn't have to worry about it, which is I think how he wants it. Alabama uh, at five, according to Athlon, and um, yeah, they they've got some I, I guess some. Some changes there. Obviously, Bryce Young and Will Will Anderson gonna be going in the top couple, well, at least top three picks, probably one and two of the NFL draft. Um, assuming that Jalen Milrow uh, will take over at quarterback, who we saw some this year, did not look great, but um, 
Yeah. Maybe a, a full off season at number one. Um, well, you know, may, maybe he'll improve there. Slash, maybe Bill O'Brien will get a uh, a job in the NFL again, and they'll um, and by subtraction, um, uh, <laughs> I, I can't see anybody being worse. But maybe that's jinxing Alabama. I don't know. Um, as of right now, it doesn't look like Saban's going to fire him. So I think you're. I think Alabama fans are probably just hoping that. Bill O'Brien gets another job in the NFL and th- they can move on. I'm not sure of the the reticence of um, Saban to, to fire him, but um, I don't know. Maybe he feels like that's dis- disrespectful to somebody of Bill O'Brien's experience. I, I don't know. I think that there's easier ways to to show someone the door without publicly firing them. Like just be like, hey, you know, you should. Uh, you should you should see I think we should see other people type things. Um fun has Florida State at number six. Like I said, I think they're gonna be um uh, top eight team next year. I, I, to start the season out, I, I would think. They finished the season pretty well, have a lot coming back. Um you would expect that they would probably be the top team, especially since Clemson as of right now, has not fired either of their coordinators, and they're going to have the same issues as they had this last year. LSU at number seven. Penn State at eight. Tennessee at nine. Um, of course, they're losing Hooker, Hyatt, and Cedric Tillman. Um, this was kind of their year to make their run and didn't really make it. But um, they're gonna, they got a five-star freshman, Nico Lama, I think it's Lamalea. Or Lama Leva, something like that. Okay, Nico Lama, somebody. I was really trying to do that name live, and I I hadn't <laughs> pre-read this at all. Um, like I said, there's nobody here to help me out, so I'm just on my own. Uh, also, Joe Milton uh, is still there. I, I would assume that Joe Milton's probably the guy by default, and then maybe the the true freshman will. Um, well, I'll just say freshman. I don't know if he's a true freshman, but a five-star freshman. Uh, maybe he takes over, or maybe he wins the job in uh, in summer camp or something like that. Um, yeah, they've they've got some some stuff to replace there, but Tennessee should be be fairly good next year. Um, I mean, I would assume it, we got a long way to go, but I would assume they'd probably be similar to how they were uh, this year. I don't know that you could account for the. Um, uh, dynamic nature that Hooker had at, at times. I don't know that we'll see that. I mean, Milton has a cannon for an arm, but he also fires that cannon. If the guy's five yards away from, him, he doesn't really take anything off of it. So it'd be nice if he could learn some touch there. Washington at number ten, according to Athlon. I, I could keep going. This is a solo podcast, so I'm not going to do that. So there's some preseason stuff. Uh, like I said, um, yeah, I. I don't want to take this too long. Talking about the game Monday. Um, of course, Desmond, uh, started, starting off with the game day stuff, I, I watched all of that, and man, did it start uh 5 o'clock, and then they had pre-game, or they had pre-pre-game day stuff before that. I think it was just all day. Um, so I watched game day leading up to the game. Um, the game started at 7.30 Eastern um, on game day, Corso and, and Desmond Howard picked uh tcu um and so that was uh i that made me feel a little bit better about uga's chances honestly and i i mean i i felt fairly good prior to the game you know on paper uga should destroy uh tcu 
Um, there, there was the, um, the thinking in the back of my head of, you know, I'm raised in pessimism anyway as a UJ fan because of the shitty nineties years with Ray Goff and everything else. Um, anything that could go wrong kind of did go wrong. So that's just always what I'm thinking in the back of my head is something's going to go wrong. They're, they're going to find their way back into it. We're going to butt fumble or something like that. And, uh, you know, somebody's going to doink a kick and they're going to return it for, uh, six points or something. Who knows? Um, Clearly, that did not happen. Uh, the final score is sixty-five to seven, and really, it could have been sixty-five to nothing. Um, they, they did get um, they, they got a uh, I think it was like a sixty-yard pass, which was the majority of their passing yards on the night on one play. Um, it's kind of a busted coverage. These things happen clearly, but uh, you know, without the one busted coverage, the game's probably sixty-five to nothing, or or worse. It could have been worse. Um, the really hard to talk about the game because there wasn't there's not much to talk about. It was just the biggest ass beating of that. Well, it's the biggest ass beating of any bowl game ever with a 58 point uh, scoring margin for UGA, um, and obviously the biggest in any national championship. Um, last week should have probably yeah it was a it was a much closer game. Um, I I do think that last week. UGA probably played, and I can't remember if I mentioned it last week. I would say probably like a B minus game. It wasn't awful. It wasn't. It wasn't this level of dominance. Um, and part of that is, of course, caused by the team on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, that they're out there playing too and affecting how you play. Clearly, um, Ohio State's a very good team. Um, and like I said, those advanced stats that I read from the FEI writings they reflect that. Um, being the number two team in the country. Um, and that's what, what I would say as well. Um, UGA was fortunate to win that game last week. The Ohio state, uh, played better for the majority of the game. Clearly they, they didn't play better, um, at the key moments of the game, you know, at the end. Uh, but the game was so close. Uh, clearly anything could have happened. Um, they had a, a great effort. I would say Ryan day outcoached Kirby smart for, uh, two, maybe three quarters of that. There were some decisions here and there where Kirby Smart definitely uh, probably would not have called the the timeout before the fake punt uh, when he first started. I think that's something that you get. The timing of those things um, comes with experience and essentially from screwing up, I think. And he had some of those early in his career, calling timeouts at bad times or not calling them when clearly should have called a timeout when they were caught flat-footed like they were then. Even though there were 12 men on the field, clearly the Pac-12 crew <laughs> did not catch the 12 men on the on the field. Um, and I think part of that, I think they, they talked to Kirby about that, and like he mentioned like he didn't want to call that timeout, but he knew he needed to. Like Coaches don't want to burn timeouts, so I think sometimes they just hope that the players even if they're not in the correct uh, call for what's going on, they hope that the players will essentially figure it out um, on the fly that they've done enough throughout the year to have them recognize this sort of thing. Um, but sometimes, you know, they're not going to. So I think that, you know, he did the right thing there in calling that timeout. Um, I, I wasn't really trying to do a backhanded way of um, giving Ohio State compliments or whatnot. I think that they... They played their ass off last week. Last week, it was probably the 
I watched a lot of Ohio State this year. It was probably the best they've uh, they've looked all season, in my opinion. Um, of course, they did give up 42 points to UGA, so probably not their best showing on on defense. But um, you know, to to be fair, uh, TCU just gave up 65 points. Georgia, so I don't think that that is necessarily a, a, a like a, a damning on Ohio State's uh, defense. Even though I, I do think that there's Jim uh, Knowles. His idea of basically all gas, no breaks, and just constant blitzes on defense is reminiscent of Todd Grantham's uh, aggression all the time. And I think aggression, uh, in lieu of like good coaching and schemes, is not always the way to go. If he were my DC, I would want him to cut back on on that and maybe just have the players in better position and and not not have like one safety back or, or no safeties back. Like in the case, you know, last week when Arian Smith shook the dude out of his jock strap and uh, sh- shook the safety out of his jock strap. And it, it, it looked like a busted play. I don't know if you could call it a busted play when, you know, you've got a safety lined up with a, a guy that runs a 10, 100 meter. Like Arian Smith ate up that cushion of 15 yards in, in like a second or so and the guy tries to turn flip his hips and can't keep his feet because he knows he's got to kick it into another gear that he doesn't have and and he just falls down um i don't know that that's a busted coverage that that implies that that the right like that the guy wasn't there he was there and and he just fucked up um but i think it's hard to hard to expect a safety to hang hang with somebody with that much speed um which I, I think goes, <laughs> it's always about what the player or, or what the team across from you is doing. So I think that they lined Arian Smith up on that safety purposefully because they know that it's a mismatch getting a safety lined up on him or even a linebacker. I mean, linebacker can't hang either. Um, anyway, so I, I not even talking much about the TCU game because there's not much to talk about. Like I said, uh, Stetson had a, a great game, uh, accounted for six touchdowns. I believe I don't even have his stats up in front of me. But he um, ended up with four passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. Um, he didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter again, which was you know the majority of the games this year, um, where he just didn't. He, if he was in there at all, he was just handing the ball off. So in this one, they uh, Kirby used a timeout to sub him and uh, some other offensive players out, um, give him a curtain call, which I thought was cool. Um, I'm not sure if it was disrespectful to TCU or not, so much as like respectful to what Stetson did, the university. Um, they did the same thing on for some of the defensive players, so used a couple of timeouts for curtain calls. Um, Carson Beck got some time in the fourth quarter through three passes. I think he had two completions, and um, I mean he looked he looked good. I don't really have too many doubts on if Monken can can do well with him. Uh Beck probably has more natural well, he does have more natural talent than Stetson. Um I think Stetson the the intangibles are what you couldn't uh predict and why he was uh third on the death chart forever. Um and just kept on balling out in practice. And then when they put him in games he just balls out there. So, you know, you, you hope that the quarterback that you're putting out there next year has those kind of intangibles and obviously the tangibles help as well, but I'm 
fairly confident in Munkin coaching up. Um, I'm not going to say most anyone, but somebody with, with talent, you know, there's a decent foundation there. And then um, if Beck or Vandy Griff or Gunnar Stockton, whoever they are, I think that um, if they have the majority of the reps like Stetson got this last year, then I think that they can make a pretty big improvement. Um, Stetson definitely improved a, a ton from last year to this year, but last year he didn't get any of the first string reps uh, in the spring or the summer. So uh, just getting that in this off season, I think I think saw a, a huge jump in his performance, uh, definitely in his confidence, but uh, performance as well. Um, that's about it. I, I don't really have anything on the game. Um, I think it was cool that TCU made it. Um, Michigan probably messed up that game. Two pick sixes and I, I think another turnover. Um, and they still almost won the game. So TCU barely survived that, kind of like they, how they had all year. And then, yeah, they, they just had nothing. Um, uh, they, they had no ways of stopping UGA. Um, it was just a, yeah, it was a complete beatdown. And I don't think anybody enjoyed watching that game except for UGA fans. I'm looking, uh, we, we meaning me, solicited some uh, some questions on the Discord, which you can get an invite to if you email podcast at academicallyknowledgeable.com. We'll get you that invite. Also, if you have any questions, you can send them there or you can send them uh, to the uh, to the email address there. Um, we didn't get any questions other than one from a uh, Texas fan. Will this be the third offseason in a row with shocking realignment news? If so, what's it going to be? I don't think that we're going to see any off-season realignment news. Um, I guess we'll see. The The biggest thing that we could see is maybe more clarification on if OU and Texas are able to figure out a way out of the grant of rights with the Big 12 so that they can join um, in 2024 instead of 2025, I think it is. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen for this next year for 2023 pretty sure schedules are already done anyway um so yeah if all this hadn't happened uh, uga would actually be playing ou this next year but the conference made them cancel it when uh when ou and texas were announced to be joining the sec so now uga has a pretty shitty schedule um out of conference this next season because they had to i think they replaced um ou with ball state because i mean <laughs> your options are fairly limited when uh, when you've only got uh, a limited amount of time, unless there's a uh, pandemic, in, in which case when there was a pandemic, it seemed like scheduling decisions could happen in the afternoon, but otherwise, you know, you gotta get on the, in the big schools uh, calendars, it's gonna take five or ten years notice. Anyway, I don't foresee anything uh, new. I, I do wonder if we get some movement on... Uh, on those schools buying out their uh, essentially paying like exit fee to leave the the big 12 early i think everybody would probably prefer that but i kind of wonder if the ship has sailed and we are where we are and now we just have to wait for that to expire and then you know they join the sec and then everybody moves on i do know that this year the big 12 has ou and texas still there and then they've got the new schools joining uh cincinnati houston and there's a third whose name is uh, coming up short on. I'm sure people are yelling at their speakers right now or headphones. Um, we'll see what happens with that. But I, 
uh, I think we may just kind of have to wait for that to expire. I think if there was a possibility, I, th- I feel like we would have heard about that by now, but I haven't heard anything, so it seems less likely the, the further we go towards that date. I don't see any other questions there. Checking the email to see if we've gotten any updates from Katie or otherwise on the assembly line. Uh, not seeing anything. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, please send those to podcast at academicallyknowledgeable.com. We'll read them out next time. Uh, this will probably be the last podcast for, uh, well, it is for the 2022 season, even though, like I said, we're in 2023. Um, we may try to do something checking in between now and um, conference previews for the 2023 season. Um, I always have full intentions of doing so. And these things are just, um, there's not a lot of let up between the preseason ones and then now. So once we're done with the season, it is really hard for me to get my mind mentally, <laughs> you know, in the frame of mind to do these over again. Uh, to be honest, uh, I have full intentions of doing them right now, but I know the reality is that me and Tom and Andrew are not going to feel like doing something after spring practices because, like, spring practices, you know, uh, it's hard to to glean that much valuable information from them. They're just kind of they are what they are, and uh, yeah, everybody, you know, either your offense looks awesome and your defense looks shit, or vice versa. Um, and, you know, a lot of those players, if they if things aren't going their way, they're going to transfer out, depending on the pecking order. Um, so, I'm not sure how much there really is to say after, after spring practices. Maybe we'll do something to just uh, do a quick touch base on that, and whatever transfers have happened, or any coaching, or... Um, hiring or firing news in the meantime, maybe Harbaugh will have decided if he's going back to the NFL or not. Uh, by then I, I would assume we'll probably know on that here in the next few weeks, but, um, who, who knows? Um, there was that one bit of news that came out with, uh, I guess I didn't mention that, uh, Michigan had some, uh, NCAA violations come out where, um, I believe a coach that was previously there, and this was during the COVID timeframes. He had gone to, I want, it was one of the Mississippi schools. Uh, it sounds like he was most likely the one that ratted them out where um, some kids came in town. Uh, Harbaugh took them, or uh, I think they were committed there. They were in town. So Harbaugh uh, asked if they want to go get lunch. So in, you know, uh, Harbaugh fashion, they go to this diner. And of course, for breakfast, uh, he orders two half pound burgers with fries um, because he's got to stay on brand as, you know, uh, chicken is a nervous bird and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, steak and milk and the whole uh, bullshit that Harbaugh is. And um, which is fine. But then he paid for their meals with a university credit card and signed it, James Harbaugh. And when confronted by the NCAA about this, denied that it was uh, that it was him who the meals even though uh people at the restaurant have apparently said that they saw him there um and that it has his (laughs) it has his signature on the receipt so um now they're facing level one violations for him uh lying to the ncaa about that otherwise it would just be like a small what like 
how much could a breakfast for like college kids be? I mean, granted they're football players, so they probably eat more than uh than you and I listening to this, but uh couldn't have been much. And I would assume they they would have just had to repay it. Uh they he would have had to take some compliance things probably, but now that's a level one, this you know, who knows, it might give them a potential out on uh, on getting rid of Harbaugh. But um anyway, so that's that. Like I said, if you want to invite to the uh Discord uh, please send an email to podcast at academicallyineligible.com. Get you an invite there. If you have questions for the next podcast, you can send them there as well. And tune in for another, uh, tune in next time, whenever that is, for another episode of the Academically Ineligible Podcast. Peace. Later, taters.